All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Noble with Noble. This is episode 25. And if you are not great at public speaking and don't, you know, uh, you, you don't like talking to people or putting yourself out there and having conversations, this is the episode for you because today we have Eli Glasson on the podcast who started a company called Speaker Labs and he's going to talk a little bit about it, but it's more about, you know, learning how to speak confidently and public speak and, you know, not have those nerves when you're, when you're doing a presentation for people. So welcome, welcome to the podcast. Thanks and, for having uh, me, man. Yeah, Let's, no, of course. And anytime. Let's talk about talking. Let's talk about talking. I yeah. feel like I should start a podcast called talking about talking. I think we're like sitting not? in this studio now. I'm looking at these microphones and this cool setup. I'm like, podcasting's fun. I should do it. Have you been on a podcast before? I've been on other people's podcasts, okay. but I've never really... I've thought about how cool it would be to run my own podcast, but I've never really actually entertained the idea until this moment. Until I think mostly, right now. Mostly because of the quality of these microphones. They're just like, they extend beautifully. I'm like, they're great. You know, something adjustable here. and they, they sound <laughs> great. So I think that's the, that's the key too. But no, I, I think if you're in a business where you're talking to people and you want to teach people how to talk, I feel like that's like, why, why not start a podcast, you know? Yeah, you know, I, I don't have a good answer to that. I should. You just, just got to do I it. Can I borrow your studio? <laughs> you can borrow the studio whenever. It's it's not up to me, but if, if you right. were to come in here and, and, you know, we could be co-hosts on your podcast. And Game on. You can talk about public speaking and I'll kind of sit here on the side and, and you know, shift away from it. And, you know, we'll, we just say that we'll, we're doing it together. So, you know, unless you want to be co-host, but I... <laughs> Yeah, that's up to you. These are the details. We'll figure them out. Yeah, we'll figure it out after. So yeah, Yeah. so tell us a little bit about Speaker Labs, how you started it, uh, where it's going, and and you know how you got here. Cool. So, I mean, fundamentally, Speaker Labs is a public speaking training company, and so our mission is to make public speaking easy for anyone who wants to actually build the skill and use it to further their career, just become more confident and effective in their life, and. It happened pretty organically. So I co-founded it with my best friend, actually. One of my best friends, his name's Eric Silverberg. And he and I both went to business school. And like many people in business school, we thought we were going to go the typical business route, like go be consultants or bankers or something, work at a big CPG. But that's not how it went at all. We both graduated from the business school and we became professors at the business school. So we ended up teaching business at Ivy. And that sort of threw us into the fire of having to public speak, right? Because teaching, you're in front of packed lecture halls every single day. And it was interesting. I was pretty nervous to have to do that. There's a sort of baked in authority when you're a teacher speaking to students, but even teachers feel a sense of nervousness when they're speaking just to a large group of people. Sometimes it's because of, of feeling like they aren't as knowledgeable as they should be. Other times it's just because they care so much about getting the information across effectively. But whatever it was, I was feeling nervous. And through my time in academia, I started to hone my craft and I started to research public speaking and communication a lot and try to figure out different things I could do to be more effective and feel more comfortable and confident. And eventually I fell in love with it. And I was just like, public speaking is so cool. It's like, is there, is there any skill that can make you better at any, at everything you do than public speaking? Right? Like if you're a graphic designer, being a good public speaker is going to make you a better graphic designer. Right. I think any any kind of job, right? Because right? you, what we do 90% of the day is talk to people. Exactly. So, it, you know, if you can get out there and, and be able to talk confidently and speak to people, not only on a big scale, but a small one, 
I think that's it's know, huge, right? Yeah, huge. So so Eric and I, we were working in academia and we were young. We were certainly not the most knowledgeable. Yeah, I was going to say, how old were you when you're talking in front of the university? We were kids? 22. We were 22 years old. So we were just a couple years older yeah. than our students. So th that must have been even harder because, you know, if you go in as someone who's graduated and now a professional talking to kids who were, you know, a year or two or three younger than you, you almost have that, you know, why do these kids listen to me? Right. right. Like they're, they're going to listen to the teachers because the teachers are old, experienced. You know, they know what they're talking about. They've been doing it yep. for years. But this guy comes in with his friend and they're 22 years old. Like, you know, why should I listen to you guys? So and, and, and I had thoughts like that. And so I had self-doubt. But he and I spent a lot of time figuring out how do we be more effective? And despite not knowing the most, despite not having the most experience, we did manage to succeed in the classroom. And we got good evaluations and we got good recognition for for how we were as professors. And so we just spent so much time talking about how valuable it is to become effective as a communicator because it doesn't, it's not that it compensates for a lack of knowledge, but it takes whatever knowledge you do have and it amplifies it and it allows you to communicate and get across to people in a really effective way. So we fell in love with public speaking. We also fell in love with teaching. We knew that we worked well together. And so we sort of had the, the seed of an idea to start Speaker Labs when we were in that academic world, but we both both also had this itch to work in tech a little bit. Tech was super sexy and fun and cool. So we ended up working for a tech company, same tech company in Toronto. It was a high growth one. So we joined around like the 30 to 50 employee range and then saw it grow to 150. And it was really cool. It was an amazing experience. But the thing that we thought was going to happen didn't happen. We thought we were going to be leaving our public speaking careers behind us in the lecture hall. And then we were going to go work in tech, in business. And it turned out public speaking was as valuable in tech, in business, as it was in academia. And people started to recognize we were effective at it and we were capable. And so people started to ask us for help. And before we knew it, we were spending lots of our time helping our colleagues, even helping some of our customers just figure out how to be more effective and give presentations. And that's when we decided, like, hey, there's something here. We both love teaching. We both love public speaking. There's an opportunity for us to take our love of teaching, our love of public speaking, and our love of business and start a public speaking teaching business. Yeah, because that's, you know. That's how it happened. Being able to take all those things together, it, it almost seems like it's fate. But <laughs> Yeah, it was like know, this confluence of all the, the things thing, we love together. Bring yeah. it together. But that's, I don't know, I, I think that there are a lot of people who go into business school who want to start businesses and they get to this point of like, I don't know what business to start. They come up with so many ideas and it just doesn't click. But for you, it seems like the first thing that you sort of thought about as a business, although it didn't happen right away, translated into this you know huge company, which I think is really cool. Well, in a sense, but also I, I don't want to make it seem like I didn't have lots of other ideas and stuff. Because oh, no, of course. I did and constantly found, made excuses and found reasons to not pursue them. And in hindsight, I'm grateful that it went that route because then I got to really build the business around something that I love and genuinely care about. But I actually think for a lot of people who are interested in entrepreneurship, there's this feeling of you have to have a good idea. And they people talk about like product market fit. I actually think it's about founder market fit. Like, are you actually doing a business that means something to you? Like, are you solving a problem that you yourself had? And for me, public speaking was, it was near and dear to me. It, it actually was something that I confronted my own fears, my own self-doubt, my own insecurity, and then built skills and built confidence and competence. And so if you can start a business in an area where you actually have personal experience and a vested interest in, I think it's going to do better in the long run. Yeah, because it's almost, you know, yeah, when you do something that you love, 
you know, they said, what, you, you don't work a day in your life, yeah. right? Which obviously it was, is not necessarily the case because obviously, you know, you work hard and, you know, you love what you do, but there's a lot of grind that happens behind the scenes to sure. build that business, to, you know, take that leap to get yourself to where you are today. So yeah. um, when you first started Speaker Labs and, you know, you were helping out your clients, you were helping out your colleagues, was there a certain point where, you know, I guess you weren't charging them in the beginning, you were kind of giving away the free lessons. And then when you eventually made the company, did that sort of blossom into, hey, you know, let's build a structure of this is how much we should, you know, charge someone for mm -hmm. Uh, like a specific type of public speaking or was it like, how was, how was a structure built once you decided to form the company? So when we were, when we were working in the tech business, we were helping people just organically, not charging for it. We didn't even have a business around it in our minds, but as that happened more and more and people kept coming to us and asking for help, we realized the opportunity was there. And what we did is we both quit our jobs and we basically locked ourselves in my apartment at the time and built our curriculum. We took all of our ideas, we did a bunch more research, and we just basically built what ended up being the core foundational curriculum of Speaker Labs. And we did that before we had a client. It's like the exact opposite of what people tell you to do in business. It's like find a person who wants what you intend to build and then build it for them. We built what we wanted to build and then found a client. And that very first client brought us in and we ran our program. We priced based on a little bit of market research. We did some research into other communication training companies, other just professional training companies, whether it was communication or leadership or management, whatever the topic was. And so we priced a little bit lower than what I think market average was because we were new. And the first customer took a chance on us. They knew we were their first they were our first customer. And they had a great experience, referred us to another company, and it sort of snowballed ever since then. So is most of your um, most of your business through referrals or a lot of marketing? 98%. Okay. Yeah. We only recently, we're six and a half years in, only recently did we start actually trying to figure out the marketing thing. For us, it's been mostly inbound word of mouth stuff. Which is good because then you don't, you know, not that you don't have to worry about marketing, but you, when you have the referrals, it makes it a lot easier because then, you know, you're essentially saving money on marketing sure. and you don't need to worry about, you know, Hey, how can we push ourselves out there more? Because we're not necessarily struggling with clients, but you know, I, I can relate back to the same thing you know, with, with real estate, most of our business comes from repeat and referral business. So, you know, for me putting my marketing out there, it's almost like I want to put out as much free marketing as I can now generate that business back. Yeah. And then, you know, pay for marketing when the time comes where I can see my business growing exponentially, but get to a point where I want more. So yeah, re referral, word of mouth, advocacy. It is, the, it's the greatest marketing currency, but it's not the only one. And it's important. I'm learning now. It's important to really internalize that and to play in all the different pillars of marketing because it's when you have a good referral engine for your business, you're going to have business coming in, but it's unpredictable. And you don't know if you're going to get a referral tomorrow or if you're going to get a referral in two months or in six months. And when you invest in marketing and you're proactive with it, you can actually build a bit more predictability into it. And I think as a business owner or even as a real estate agent, having a little bit more predictability is a very good thing. Yeah, because you know, you obviously got to start from one. And yeah, you, know, you don't know, especially, I mean, for me personally with, with houses and stuff, you know, people don't buy a house every year, yeah. right? And people don't have friends that are buying houses every year. So you know, for you guys, is it the same? Do you get people coming back 
more frequently or is it more, I wouldn't say a, a one and done situation, but do people learn enough from the course so that they, you know, they do it one time, they're happy, they get their confidence back or do they come back every, you know, couple of months or, you know, let's say I'm speaking twice this summer, I would come, you know, do one course before or before the first one and one course after the second one. So the majority of our business is B2B, like we're a business and we train professionals at other businesses and the businesses are repeat clients. But let's say we train a group of 15 individuals. We're not necessarily training the same group of 15 individuals the next quarter. We're training a different group at the same company. So we have a lot of companies who come back every quarter, every year, a lot of repeat buyers, but it's not necessarily the same attendees right. in the workshops. Okay. Yeah. That said, we do have some people who they call it like, I want a speaker labs refresher. And it's more so that they're like, it's been four years since I took the course and it really helped me, but I want to remind myself of some stuff. I'd love to take it again. Okay. So you get mostly businesses coming to you and not uh, like people. Yeah. Not individuals. Yeah. It's funny. We get it. We get a lot of individuals coming to us, but we sort of say, sorry, we can't really help because it's not our core business. I do think in the future, we're going to build out some stuff that may be able to help individuals. But right now we're a small organization from headcount perspective. And for us, we want to stick to our core business, which is helping professionals at companies. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, if I were to own a company, mm -hmm. right, is there a certain, um, I guess, like amount of employees that you run? Like, are you like a big business where like, you know, you need like a hundred employees or if I have five employees at my company, that would also be ideal. We have a minimum group size. So our minimum group size is 15 people. Main reason being, if we're going to teach public speaking, we need it to feel like public speaking. And so if you have five people in a room, it feels a little bit more like a group conversation and a little bit less like one to many onus on the speaker speaking to the group. So we like to have 15. And the reason 15 works on the other side of it, as opposed to, let's say, going 50, where it feels even bigger, is we like to give everyone an opportunity to get in front of the group and actually speak and feel what it's like to have all eyes on them and feel the pressure and apply the skills and be effective. And with 15 people, we have a good balance of it feels like public speaking, but we give enough people, we give everyone enough time to Whether speak at the front of the room and, and yeah. apply what they're learning. Okay, so do you have a success story from a specific person uh, who came to the company, you did a course with them and they came back? You know, Because I know there are a lot of times where you know, you do this for a living, you do this for a job and you probably don't think about how many lives you're affecting, you know, like let's say you're, you're meeting with, you know, a hundred people a week with all these 15 groups. Like you don't know that that one person is really going to resonate and take back. So do you have a, a crazy success story that? No, we unfortunately have? suck and we can't help you. No, we got a couple. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll tell you that there's two that, that have always stood out in my mind. One is uh, we were working with a pretty big tech company in Toronto and there was someone, her name was Christine. Her name probably still is Christine. So yeah. Christine and uh, Christine in our program, we talk a lot about fear in our program. So there's a lot that goes into public speaking and being effective, but fear is a huge pillar of it. And we talk a lot about fear and she identified herself as someone who has a pretty crippling level of fear. There's a, there's a continuum to fear. And she was on the very, very, very nervous side of it. This, the nervous side where we say you have a presentation in a month and she's not sleeping for a month, like okay. that level of nervousness. And through a lot of input from mentors, she signed up for our program when we went to train that company. But when it came to her turn to get up and speak, 
she couldn't get words out and she started crying and it was really, it was a very raw emotional state for her. By the second day of the program, she got up and actually managed to speak and it was quite effective. It was, it was really good, way better than she expected it was going to be. But that was a cool, just success story in and of itself. But then like six months later, she sent an email to us saying, Hey, uh, I just wanted to thank you. I've been on the Toronto tech speaking circuit the past couple months, and it's been all thanks to you. And I would love to meet with you guys to just sort of share a little bit about my experience and maybe get a few tips so I could do the panel stuff a little bit better. But it was cool to see someone who go from not being able to speak in front of a group of 15 of her colleagues to now being on panels, speaking in front of Toronto's tech community. That yeah, that's, cool. that's crazy. Yeah, yeah that because like one. I said, you sometimes you never know, you know, those stories, you know, the, the fear could stay there. But the fact that you guys came in, you know, she went through the course and, and learned enough to build herself and build that confidence up to speaking in front of, you know, I'm sure you never would have guessed in, in a million years that that would be the person to, you know, excel and, and exceed beyond what your, uh, what your goal is. So I'm sure that that's also a motivator for you for your company too because you know if you can impact one person's life obviously that's that's the goal but yeah. the more the merrier right our, when eric and i talk about like what our our fundamental mission is when we go in to train a company and, and the team at that company everybody's at a different point on their public speaking journey and there is no finish line it's not like public speaking is a rubik's cube or once all the colors match you're done it's there's always room to improve. And so some people are really, really, really great and they're looking to find another edge and take another step. Some people are really struggling and they're, they're completely overwhelmed and consumed with the fear and nervousness. And wherever people are, we wanna just move them up that continuum, move them up that ladder and try to get them to the next level. And sometimes people will move up a notch. Sometimes people will move up three notches. Sometimes people will jump from a two to a 10 and I think Christine was one of those examples where she internalized a lot of the stuff really, really deeply to the point that any opportunity that came her way, any public speaking opportunity that came her way, she just automatically said yes to. Yeah, that's great. And that's a cool thing. So for her, that's someone who has fear. And you said that most people have fear. That's like their number one thing that prevents them from public speaking. For someone who's listening here, is there something that they can do if they have that fear that can, you know, or what can they do to... You know, if you were to give one tip to bring that up to, you know, even from a level two to a level three. Yeah, I mean, fear, fear is a big subject. So let me say this. There, there are two categories of ways that you can overcome fear. One is action. Like if you don't do something in the face of your fear, you're never going to get through it. So action is, is absolutely required. But sometimes that's an, it's an oversimplification to say action is all that's required. The second category is understanding. And if you understand fear more deeply, you actually really get to the heart of the matter, then that can shift your perspective on it. And with new perspective comes the ability to see new actions to take and to take them effectively. So I would say action and understanding are the two things you can do. And from an understanding perspective, here's what I'll say. There's, so let, let's take fear outside of public speaking, just fear in general. Like, what is fear? What do, what do you think fear is? I think it's the it's just the inability to, you know, to do something uh, well, I, I, without, without using the word fear. Yeah, the inability to do something um, because of the, what you expect the result to be. Yeah, and the expected result is a key component there. Fear is a response to danger. 
That's what it is. It's a response to threat. So if there's a tiger lunging at you, roaring, and you see its teeth, that's a dangerous thing. That's a real threat. And so fear triggers as a way to handle the threat. It changes your biochemistry and it causes you to run faster, punch harder. It's this beautiful biological mechanism that's built into human DNA that allows us to handle threats. But there's a difference between a real threat and a perceived threat. And this is one of the fundamental pieces of understanding that I think helps a lot of people is if you're walking through the bushes and you see a tiger, that's a real threat. But a lot of people, when they're walking through the jungle and they hear a rustle in the bushes, they assume it's a tiger, but it might just be wind. And the biggest piece of understanding you can have is look at public speaking and really analyze the situation. Like any public, public speaking situation you could envision in your mind, really analyze it. Assess every different component, every variable, and ask yourself, are these tigers or is this wind? And what you might find is if you really scrutinize it, it's wind every single time. It's all perceived threats. There is no real danger. That's not to say that you can't have adverse consequences. Like you could fail, sure. You could say something and get judged, fine. It's all possible. But name a person who's gone through life and had any measure of success who hasn't failed and hasn't been judged. So these are prerequisites for success. They are necessary components. And when you start to internalize that all of public speaking has no real danger, it's all perceived threat, you start to recognize that the biological response that's happening, it's not as necessary as it might feel. Right. Which that's like, that's super, super common because thinking about it, yeah, you know, there, there are times where people don't want to be judged. They don't want to put their face even on social media. They don't want to, you know, even public speaking. If you're in a room of 100 people, mm-hmm. public speaking, one person judges you, 10 people judge you, like that's 10% of, you know, you have 90 other people who are supporting you. Yeah. Right. And those people who, you know, might be judging you, so be it. Like that's, you know, I feel like it's, it's a really hard thing to overcome, but yeah. that, and the, the tiger analogy is like very calming in the fact that, you know, those people who go out there and have these fears need to understand that it's, it's all in your own head. Totally. Right? What's interesting. It's very easy to understand intellectually. It's not that easy to have it shape your behavior. So a lot of people, they understand what, what, what it means to say there's a difference between a real tiger and a rustle in the bushes. People understand that intellectually. But then you put them on a stage in front of a group of people and they feel like it's a tiger. No matter how much they tell themselves, there's no tigers here. These are human beings. These are empathetic, kind humans. They still feel like it's a tiger. And what, that, what happens then is it distorts people's perception of the situation. So as you said, let's say 10 people in a room of 100 do judge you. Okay, it happens. We all judge other people. And truth be told, we never judge them as harshly as they think we're judging them. And it's never to their face. It's usually yeah. you know, behind their back where you wouldn't even know. It never has any real impact on their life. But here's the most important element of it, in my opinion. When people look out at the crowd, they perceive that 10 people are judging them. When in reality, most people aren't judging them. And certainly not as harshly as they think. Like, I'll, t- I'll tell you an interesting experience that Eric and I had. When the pandemic hit, we shifted our business from live to virtual. Yeah. And it was, a, it was a bit of a messy process for a bit, but we figured it out and it was great. And then I remember we did a virtual training with the company who was our very first ever client. Okay. okay? And so we had been doing trainings with them every single year, but always in person. 
And we had a great reputation with this company. And we went in and we were doing a virtual training with them. There's about 15 people in the group and cameras were off. We kept telling people to put your cameras on. We kept asking for discussion. Nobody was get, giving us discussion. People, were, people weren't asking questions. And it was just like, it felt weird. And Eric and I, we called each other at the lunch break and we're like, have we lost our touch? Like, what the hell's going on here? Maybe we have to fold our business. This is it. It's over. It's done. And we finished the program and we sent out a feedback survey, which we do at the end of all of our programs. And we got 9.9 .9 out of 10 from 15 people. And it, it, it taught us a pretty valuable lesson, which is you can think you know what's going on in the mind of another person or a group of people, but you don't actually know. I, I think the best thing you can do as a public speaker is assume ignorance. People look out at their audience, they see someone who's not smiling and they assume that person hates me. And they, they see somebody who's on their phone and they think that person's bored out of their mind. It's equally possible that the person who looks like they're not smiling just has a resting bee face. Like who knows, yeah. right? The person who's on their phone, maybe they, they got a text message that their kid is sick and they have to pick them up from school. It's not necessarily boredom and it's not that they hate you. You're better off assuming that you just don't know what's going on in other people's minds. And that's both comforting for you and I think a more accurate representation of reality. Yeah, because I, I actually you answered the question. I wanted to get into how your business shifted from, you know, once the pandemic started because, you know, not only you going from in-person uh, programs to virtual programs, but how do you help people who, you know, are now doing panels virtually? Like, are there things that they can do differently? Because obviously standing in front of a crowd gets you a little bit nervous, mm -hmm. but maybe there are those people who don't want to speak in front of a, a Zoom call, don't want to turn their cameras on, don't want to, you know, unmute to ask questions. Are there ways for those people that are different than the people who are, uh, you know, speaking in person or is it yeah. somewhat similar? It, it's a good question. So for, first I'll say, I always, I always like to just bring up the fear component of things because it is a huge component of public speaking. Everybody has fear, but what triggers the fear for them may be different from person to person. Everyone has it, but the context in which it triggers might be a little different. Some people feel more comfortable speaking live because there's a more real-time perception of, of people's reactions. Some people prefer to speak virtually because you're sort of, you're comfortable behind the digital wall, but other people are the opposite. Some people are more afraid virtually. Some people are more afraid in person. So it's very contextual. In terms of how to be effective when it comes to virtual stuff, there was a lot of talk over the pandemic around all the differences between virtual and live communication, but not enough talk about similarities. And I think when you really hit home on what the similarities are and get good at handling the things that are consistent across both, you become a better public speaker. And if I think about what's consistent is you have to be engaging. Like, I don't care how good your message is. I don't care how well thought out your story is or your presentation is. If you're not engaging, if you're not captivating people when you speak, then they ain't listening. And if they ain't listening, it doesn't matter what you say. That's true virtually, that's true live, you have to be engaging. And the way to be engaging is similar virtual and live. It's all like body and voice stuff and there's some subtle differences. Like if you're virtual, like right now, eye contact means looking at you. Right. If it's virtual, what a lot of people do is they look at the face on the screen and they're looking down like this. But if you look into your camera hole, then it's like that's virtual eye contact. So that's a subtle difference. But most of the stuff is pretty much the same. Like. A lot of people say, I'm excited to be here at the beginning of a presentation. And you tell me, which one feels like excitement to you? Hi, I'm excited to be here. Or hi, I'm really excited to be here. 
Yeah, it's, it's the second one, right? Because right. you have the facial expressions, you got the smile on your face, you're you're you know, doing the, something the, the different with are, the vehicle, you know, right? Back a bit, yeah. Yeah, and so whether you're on a camera doing it virtually or you're in person live, you got to do the same thing. You got to reflect that excitement. You got to you got to demonstrate it in the way you communicate. So that's a similarity. And while there are some little differences, I think honing in on the similarities is I think more valuable. Right, because when you have these small little similarities, I guess because you've been doing it for so long, you've you know pinpointed it, and that's basically what your your company's built on is you know finding these little um, you know miscues in in people's presentations. But to take all of those and bring them all together, and then you know push them out to people and have them figure out which one is the one that that I want to say is is bothering them the most, but the one that, that they need to improve on, once they can figure that out, I feel like that's that's the key in being a better public speaker, right? Mm-hmm. So for people who, um, you know, let, let's say someone wants to put on like a, a, a fake persona, right? Yeah. Because I'm not confident in public speaking. I don't feel like I'm going to do a good job, but I need to put on this like, you know, mask or not mask, but mask, you know, that's put, a good word. Put, put on a mask to say, you know, you know, it's like you walk out there, you know, you're backstage, you got this straight face on, you know, you perk yourself up like you see in like the movies and the TV shows and yeah. put that smile on your face and get out, you know, get out there and actually go and do it. Do you feel like there are a lot of people that are sort of like that where they're putting on this persona to, to engage themselves, to make them, I don't want to say feel better, but get their confidence up or is it more people who are genuinely interested in what they're doing and then going out there and just having that better feeling, right? Maybe it's a mix of both. I mean, it's obviously a mix, but I would say there are a lot of people who like to put on a mask when they public speak. And it's funny, people often talk about public speaking and acting and how they're not the same thing, but they're sort of cousins. Like they're definitely I think in the they're, same they're family. Similar, yeah. The biggest difference is when you're public speaking, you're playing yourself. When you're acting, you're playing a different character. And the reason people put on masks is because there's comfort in that's not really me. So if I get up on stage and I'm I'm wearing this mask called Eli's public speaking character, and the audience doesn't like it and they judge it. And I screw up. Well, that wasn't actually me. They don't know the real me. So it's, just, it's like a, a defense mechanism in a sense. We often encourage people not to do that. I mean, auth- authenticity is currency in communication. And when you really build confidence and you really get over the fear and not necessarily get over the fear, but you really change your relationship to the fear because you can't really eliminate it, but you can relate to it in a different way. When you build comfort, you build confidence, you change your relationship to fear authenticity is the emergent property and you don't feel the need to wear a mask as much. So people do it a lot, but it's definitely not encouraged. Yeah. Cause I, I think, you know, obviously there are some people that do that, but I think if you put on a mask and like you said, I feel like when you said earlier where, where you put on a mask and someone doesn't like what you're doing and they say, you know, you think to yourself, Oh, that's not me. I think of it in the other way okay. of people enjoy you having that mask on and then they meet you in person, you're a completely different person. Yeah. Right. So I feel like that's even more of a disconnect because they go, you know, this guy was great on stage. And then they meet you in person. All of a sudden you're, you're not who you 
are, right? And I think yeah. same thing for me. Like I need to be authentic. I need to be who I am. If I'm putting videos out there, I'm putting content. I need to be me. I can't put on this fake persona because, you know, people know about that. They know who I am. And, and if you don't want to work with me because you don't think that I'm, you know, or you think that I'm, I'm fake mm-hmm. on, online or working like, you know, or you don't like the content I'm putting out there, like, that's fine. I need, I like go out there and, and use me because you want to use me and not, you know, not because I'm putting on this persona. Cause I, I see there's so many realtors out there who put on this fake mask of like, you know, look at me, look how successful I am on social media. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get to meet them in person and they're just totally so different. different. Yeah. It's gotta be tiring, right? It's, it's, it is. Like it's, you have, you have to put on, imagine an actor on set at a movie who's never allowed to break character. You know, if it's <laughs> certainly for me, if I had to put on a different persona entirely and then get off of the proverbial stage and have to interact with people as the real me, I would want to, I'd want the, the consistency and the congruency. And so I'd either have to act the entire time or have to be authentic the entire time. And I think authenticity is going to be a lot easier. I, I think so, too. I think once you can get over that hump of fear yeah. and whatever, you know, issues you're having. I think that, yeah, that's probably like, it's going to lead to like, I think better success in life too, because, 100%. you know, you, you go and let's say someone's not good at public speaking, right? You go and, and you go out for your, a friend comes over, right? Like a buddy of yours and you have a conversation, you can have a normal conversation with them and it's fine. But then as soon as you go and, and you have someone who you've met for the first time, why is that conversation different? I guess maybe it's a, uh, I guess go back to fear, but a fear of being judged or yeah, it's ba- it's back to the tigers because you perceive there to be more danger than there really is, and under the influence of danger, people shrink. It's that simple. Yeah. So sometimes it's funny when I say it now, it sounds so simple, but when Eric and I did the deep dive for ourselves personally when we were in academia and when we did the research for our clients and we wanted to build Speaker Labs and make it insanely valuable for people. You have to go through a lot of complexity to get back to that simple point. And so it sounds really simple to say that's what it is, but that is what it is. It just may not really hit home for you until you go through the complexity and come back to that destination. Right. It's, it's a think about that in the first place, right? It's, it's going through the complexity to get to that simple point, right? It's, yeah. it's like so you many assume businesses. There has to be more. There has right. to be more to it than that, but there isn't. It's not to say that there aren't competencies and skills you can learn. Like you can learn skills to be a more effective conversationalist. You can learn skills to be more engaging. You can learn skills to craft a better narrative if you're going to prepare a presentation. You can learn skills to build a better slide deck so you don't put a PhD thesis behind you. These are all skills you can learn. But it's a misconception to think that the skill set is the unlock. The mindset is the unlock. The skill set is the sprinkle on top. Right. So um, I got one more question for you because we're we're almost at the end. I just just give us one tip. I mean, you know, we we've, we've already got a ton, but for someone who wants to get into public speaking or be more confident, I know we spoke about the fear and we spoke about the uh, you know like the the tiger situation. But is is there something that's not related to fear that you can give someone that you know might be listening? to put themselves out there for sure so are you, are you asking sort of like a more on the skill set side more of on things? the skill set side yeah sure so so we we break public speaking down into four categories we break it down into content delivery visuals and mindset 
content being what you say, delivery being how you say it, visuals being the stuff you put behind you, and mindset being the confidence and fear element. So maybe I'll give you I'll give you one thing in each. For content, I'll say tell stories. Anecdotes are the most effective packaging for an idea. I think a lot of people when they give a presentation in any context, any context, they go like subtitle bullet point approach. They're like, here's this title and we're gonna talk about this and this and this and this and this and it's just a list and it's boring and it's unengaging and it's very much a, an explanation based approach. Whereas a much better approach to content is to think what's the simple idea that I wanna get across to people and what story can I tell to convey that idea? So here's a classic example for you. Suppose, here's a great, a great idea, it's a known idea, but failure is okay. Failure is part of success, right? Have you heard that before? Yeah. You've probably even told that to people before. Everyone's, I think everyone knows. That, that idea is known, right? But if you just say that, people hear it, but they don't internalize it. But if I tell you a story about a time when I really tried hard at something and I completely just failed miserably, and it was horrible, but I learned valuable lessons that ended up being the catalyst for the success I had thereafter. It makes you, it makes you feel you more You internalize it more, right? Yeah. So when it comes to content, I would say deep dive into the art of story, anecdotes, and everybody has stories because a story is just an experience you had in life. Like I, lo I love to tell a story about a time I learned a cool way to tie my shoes. I love to tell a story about a time my dog got sick. I love to tell a story about my love of chocolate covered pretzels. Just simple everyday life experiences, which everyone has had. You can take those stories and you can tie them into ideas that you're trying to communicate. So stories are a valuable tool when it comes to content. For delivery, I would say, delivery is probably simultaneously the easiest and hardest skill in public speaking. If you watch really great public speakers, they're so dynamic and they're so captivating and they're so rich with emotion when they speak. And it seems like they're doing something that you can't do. But if you really analyze it, really watch a great public speaker, what you'll notice is they're not doing anything you can't do. They don't have some superpowers, not wizardry. It's like they speak louder and then quieter. And all of a sudden that becomes really engaging. So rather than giving one specific tactic for delivery, I would say, Go watch a good TED Talk, the ones with millions of views, and try this. Turn the volume off and just watch what they do with their body. Don't even listen, just watch. And what you'll see is that everything they're doing is completely natural to you as a human. We all do it. It's when we get uncomfortable that we constrain and don't do it, but you'll notice that what they're doing, you can do. And then turn the video off, maybe like tilt the camera down, tilt the screen down on your computer or turn your phone over, but turn the, the volume all the way up and just listen. And what you might find is you hear things about how they change their voice. They speak faster, they speak slower, they pause. These are all easy things to do. Like you're, you're using silence beautifully right now. It's not a superpower, it's something humans do. It's just stop talking, right? But it took me a while to get to that point. I'll tell you, if you yeah. listen to the first few episodes of the podcast, there were times where I'm saying, yep, I'm saying, uh-huh, okay. And if you listen closely, you can hear, I, I think we left it in for the first couple of episodes but then we started to mute it and you know someone said that to me like just listen because you know we get to a point where let's say we're, we're going to post a clip for you we're going to post a reel and you're talking and you're telling this great story and I'm going uh-huh yep and I'm interrupting you it, it takes away from it right so I've learned through doing this just just to be quiet and it and it feels awkward because I feel like I not that I need to jump in and say something but for me to just sit back and listen, it's like, it's, it's difficult, but I've, 
again, I've, I've trained myself to just sit back, listen, wait for that moment to go in and then have that conversation. So, yeah. And, and let's, let's just qualify what we mean when we say difficult. Like if you asked me, I'm not standing right now, so you can't tell, but I'm not that tall. If you asked me to dunk a basketball, that's hard. If you asked me to lift a Mack truck, that's hard. That's difficult. If you asked me to stop talking, despite how uncomfortable it may feel, not that you hard, can do it right yeah and so i would say that's probably the biggest insight i'll offer when it comes to delivery great delivery is not hard it's incredibly easy you have to make the choice to start doing it deliberately even when it feels unnatural so you have to make the choice to use silence even when it feels like i want to talk you have to make the choice to speak louder even when it feels more comfortable to speak quieter you have to make the choice to use your hands to convey an idea even when it feels more comfortable to put them in your pockets, right? You got to make those choices, but delivery is really easy. So content, story, delivery, make the choice to do what you're already capable of doing. With visuals, I'll say very simply, less is more. And with mindset, I'll say, people think that to become a confident public speaker, you have to get rid of fear. They think it's a game of subtraction, remove fear, remove fear, eliminate fear, eliminate fear. It's not a game of subtraction. It's a game of addition. You have to add more courage, more courage, more courage, more courage. And similar to go back to the Christine story, that's the idea that I think really hit home for her. So when someone asked, do you want to speak at this conference? Fear said, don't do it. Something bad could happen. Courage said, say yes, see where this takes you. And she said, yes. And someone said, you want to speak on this panel? Fear said, don't do it. Something bad could happen. There's a tiger there. It's not wind. Trust me, it's a tiger. And courage said, it's probably wind. Let's see where this goes. And so I think if, if I'll offer any insight on the fear piece, it's spend less time trying to remove fear and more time trying to add courage. Right. Okay. Well, that, that's great. No, those were all four very good points uh, and, you know, things that I'm, I'm going to take with me and hopefully, you know, whoever's listening will take that, take it with them too. And, you know, for, for the third point for less visuals, uh, the example I always go back to is like an Apple keynote, mm -hmm. right? Where you go, and they have the best products. You watch an Apple keynote, you won't see any words on the screen. It's basically just, they just put a picture and they go talk about it, right? Less is more. You can see what they have on there. And then, you know, as long as you can talk about it, that's where I get my confidence from when I'm doing presentations is, you know, we spoke about this off camera before, but if I can know what I'm talking about, you have that confidence to, you know, put a picture up there. Don't put words on there and then just, just talk about it. Just yeah. be natural about it. So. Me and you both. I prefer the picture approach too. Exactly. So anyway, Eli, thank you so much uh, for coming on. This was a, a great chat. Uh, where can people find Speaker Labs or you uh, online? So at Speaker Labs on Instagram or our website, www.speakerlabs.ca, Canadian CA. company, .ca. I think a lot of people are moving to the, to the CA than, than the .com. Yeah, I mean, I so, someone tried to get us to pay like $10,000 for the speakerlabs.com thing, which is an unused domain right now. So oh, really? we we're like, screw that. CA is dope. We'll take CA. Okay. Yeah, because I'm I'm starting my uh, my website now and I'm it's like Rhino Realty and like the .ca is free and I think the .com is also free. But Snag them both. I think I might do, oh, I guess I could do both. I didn't <laughs> even think about that. Here's the truth though. People Google rather than type in what, like when was the last time you went into the search bar and typed www. Like, never, no, never. Not me. But I don't know. So some people might be different. But. Yeah, it's true. Anyway, yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, you know, maybe we'll have you back on soon. 
when, if I get my confidence down or I start to get fear, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll have you back and uh, we'll learn a little bit of the lesson. But for now, I guess I got to build a team of at least 15 people to, uh, to get myself in for, uh, for a consultation because I, I would love to get, uh, you know, to get into some public speaking. So Cool. Work on that team, man. Work on that Sounds team. Sounds good. Thanks for having All me right. on. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you.